Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. It's good to see you again, brother. I always look forward to our chats together. Um, Absolutely. It's going to be a good week. So we've been going through the attributes of God, and, and I think that's been helpful for people. Um, the listenership has gone up, and so I think that's a good indication that people are hungry for the Word of God, to know God, to know who God is. Um, so th- those are good things. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about omniscience. So I think uh, the last time we did, we ended on immutability, and then we had Dustin come on. And so we're going to pick that up with omniscience today. Uh, why don't you give us a working definition? What That's a big word, omniscience. What does that mean? Yes. Yes, it is. So omniscience, or, or sometimes pronounced omniscience, um, it's a combination of two words, omni and uh, science. And science literally talks about knowledge. So the idea of um, omniscience or omniscience is that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And we can't even talk about that without broaching his other um, attributes, as we will today. For instance, uh, the fact that he's, he is eternal, uh, it means that he is not only all-knowing, but he has been all-knowing all the time. Um, so that goes back to the Isaiah passage, uh, declaring the end from the beginning. Um, he, he knows everything that's, that was going to happen, even prior to the foundation of the world. So he knows everything. And uh, the ramifications, the implications of him being omniscient, um, it's phenomenal when, when we really think about it. And it should provide both comfort to those who are in Christ, as well as be a source of fear for those who aren't. Um, so there is a lot of practical implications that come out of this. I'm looking forward to it. And I think you have um, eight different aspects of this that we're going to walk through. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're in a place where you can pull out a pen and paper, this will be the episode to do that. Um, So we're going to kind of just, like you said, briefly touch on kind of eight different categories, uh, you know, just breaking up omniscience into eight aspects of that. And I'll just read through those for our audience real quick. And then hopefully, uh, if we have enough time, we'll, we'll touch on all of those and then folks can look up you know, ones that we may not get to, or maybe we'll do a, another episode on if we have to. Um, but those eight are perfect self-knowledge, perfect knowledge, eternal knowledge, immediate knowledge, exhaustive knowledge, penetrating knowledge, future knowledge, and possible knowledge. And so you can find these, lots of theologians write on them, some add a few different ones, some take away a little bit. But the point is just to kind of get a holistic view of what it really means when we say God is omniscient. Um, sometimes I'm, I say omniscience, you, you'll have to forgive me because I'm from the South. So, um, I, I get an ex- a pass there, but, um, <laughs> I, I don't eat bananas and mayonnaise. So for those folks out there, we'll pray for you. Um, oh, man, that's, that was something else. <laughs> we, you, this is, this episode is still for even you folks, but, uh, anyway, a little bit of levity thrown in there. Well, brother, let's just kind of dive right in and talk about God's perfect, Self-knowledge, you know, I, one of the first passages I think of is Matthew eleven twenty-seven. when we think of this, and it says, um, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, 
and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal to him. And so kind of in that, we have this intimate, deep knowledge between the father and the son. And we would also understand that the Holy Spirit is, is in there as well. Um, what, what an amazing passage. It um, goes far beyond what we have. You know, um, God doesn't do self-introspection because he knows himself perfectly. Yeah, and, and when we talk about knowledge, it's not merely just head knowledge. I think that's where you're getting to. Mm-hmm. Even when we think about Matthew chapter 7 and uh, Jesus Christ, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he said, I did not know mm-hmm. you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so, to know one another, and we sometimes use that language for husband and wife, right? People who know themselves yep. at an intimate level that no one else would know each other at. So, it is intimate knowledge. It's It really conveys a very close relationship that is not merely just common or ordinary, um, but it's it's talking about a relationship um, that starts with knowledge, but, but goes towards a, a deep relationship that um, to this point, as you're talking about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they were in perfect unity, and they've always been in perfect unity. And uh, this is one of the crucial doctrines of the Trinity, um, just knowing that they are never in contradiction with one another and that uh, the Holy Spirit has the mind of Christ, has the mind of God, and only the Holy Spirit is able to search those things and, and provide them to us. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's a great point when we think about the Trinity, that from eternity past to eternity future, they have always existed in perfect knowledge of of one another and that perfect unity that results from it. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let me, I was looking up here, the other passage where we, the Holy Spirit talks to that as well for in 1 Corinthians 2.11 is where we see that same intimate knowledge. On uh, the passage we read earlier, we've got um, the Son and the Father. Here it says, for who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man, which is in him, which you just uh, spoke about. Um, even so, thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. And so there, again, we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with that perfect knowledge, not just a head knowledge, uh, but far beyond that. Um, well, let, let's move on because we've got eight of these to go through. Um <laughs> Perfect knowledge. So we talked about perfect self-knowledge and that deep intimacy. Um, and, and we move from that to just perfect knowledge in general. So this isn't self-knowledge. It's perfect knowledge of things outside of himself. Yeah, and when we go back to the creation account, um, I often love to walk people back to the creation account and just read mm-hmm. Genesis 1-1 and think through all the attributes that had to be true of God for Genesis 1-1 to be true. And one of the attributes that you have to come up with is going to be the omniscience, that he had to know all things to be able to create all things. And not only that, but when we read in John chapter 1, as well as Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, about how Jesus Christ was the one by whom all things were created, but also how all things are sustained. And so for him to not only create, but to be able to sustain all things, and of course, we've made reference in the past to just the perfect balance in which everything in the universe exists. If we're just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we're a little bit further away, we'd freeze to death. You know, the the fact that we're in this perfect place to be able to have life on earth is not a coincidence. It requires perfect knowledge from God. And, And I think about 
you know, the scriptures. And, and I think you would probably say the same thing of all the books that I've ever read in my life. I don't know any book as well as I know the Bible. And yet I am nowhere close to mm-hmm. exhausting its riches. You know, even if you devote yourself, it doesn't matter what kind of discipline or domain you devote yourself to, you could spend your entire life. And I don't think anyone would say that in their given domain or discipline that I know everything there is to know about this. And yet when we think about God, he knows it perfectly. He knows it from start to end. And he not only knows that specific domain, but he knows every single domain that ever existed because he is the creator of all of it. Yeah. And, you know, like all the attributes, when by the time you you get done with just a brief overview, which we're really just going to scratch the surface of all of these attributes, you get to the end and you just think, wow, what an incredible God. And what an incredible savior. And that really these, you know, the study of these attributes should be more than just gaining head knowledge. It should raise our affections and love for Christ. And when we just get a glimpse of how big God is, um, I I think of passages like 1 John 1 and 5 um, says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And, and it's interesting because light is often used as a metaphor for, you know, what's perfect, what's good uh, for knowledge. And, it, you know, there's no darkness in him. There's no darkness in knowledge. There's no darkness as it pertains to right or wrong. Uh, he's perfect in every way. Um, I, I personally love the book of Job. I really, it might be one of my favorite books. Um, you, you see, the sovereignty of God in a way we don't see in any other book necessarily um, as he dialogues with Satan. You also see God, um, you know, responding to Job and that interaction. And, and one of the comments that's made in Job 37, 16 says, and, and this is God responding to Job, um, you know, after Job's been kind of moaning and groaning a bit, right. And, and God's making the point that he is God. And, and Job is not. And he says, do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? And there it is, a perfect in knowledge. I mean, this is what God says about himself. Um, and, and we see that kind of all throughout. And in fact, um, I mean, Job covers so many of the attributes actually, right? But he talks about all the minute details in creation. You know, he's the one that feeds the hawks and he's the one that causes the the goats to be birthed when they are and and all of this i mean incredible incredible book um but the wonders of one perfect in knowledge it says in in 37 16 there and again job when god finally speaks to job as you're mentioning he goes back to the fact that i'm the creator and you're not i mean how much of what we understand about god has to fundamentally start with the um, with the knowledge and understanding that God created all things. You know, it's just like yeah. uh, when Paul in Romans chapter 9, he said, who are you to argue against the creator, right? And so the fact that he is a creator, uh, it means that he is the highest in authority. He is sovereign. He is all powerful because he's the one that brought all things into being, but he is all knowledgeable. He knows everything about everything he brought into being. And so this is, th- this is an attribute when you think about it, 
how often does the world rebel against this because they think they know better than God? Hmm. They deny the things that are in the scriptures. And recently we've been seeing um, a certain individual and others denying the presence of heaven and hell, denying things that the Bible has taught. And it really, it's like, you know, not, not to be rude to those individuals, but who do you think you are that you say that you know better than what the word of God says? And, yeah. and that all ties back to the fact that God knows all things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, speaking of that, because this kind of thing is coming up more and more, I mean, th- this is a good indication of individuals who really have no understanding of who God is. I mean, these folks do not know the attributes of God, um, and 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 if they have heard them, studied them, and I know that some of them have, they're rejecting those things. And, you know, when you start making statements like, well, there's no hell, there's no heaven, um, or insinuations to that effect. I mean, effectively, right? You are saying that you know better than God because God has made those things clear. And that ought to be a very scary place for anyone to be to assume an authority above God because that's really what they've done. Right. And if you think about it further, and, and you're making great points here. To say that there's no heaven or hell, who are you to be able to say what is an eternity, right? We yeah. have no proof of what's an eternity. All we have is what God's word says. So if you say that there's no eternity, what are you basing that on? And in this case, that there's no hell, at least in this case, if you're saying that there's no hell, what are you basing that on? Well, you're basing it on, and traditionally, I think uh, what they normally base it on is this idea that is that a loving God couldn't send someone to hell for eternity. Um, well, now you've got a problem. You're you're creating your own God with its own, his own attributes rather than the attributes of God as revealed in Scripture. And so this is, again, and you talk about the importance of the attributes. I remember Steve Lawson, he was asked one time, um, what is the first thing you would have a new believer do? And his answer was, I would have them study the attributes of God. Hmm. And this is exactly the reason why is because when you have a conception of God and you start to make decisions based upon that conception of God, it all starts with a true conception of God. So when people say that there's no hell, it's coming from a false conception of God. And whether that's false because they've never studied the attributes or whether it's false because they have studied it, but they've rejected it. We don't want to be in that position. We want to make sure that we understand God, his character, and his, his attributes, and then by from there, be able to affirm everything else that the Bible teaches, and be careful not to say something that goes against what his character and attributes are. So, that's why it's so critical. Yeah, absolutely, brother. I mean, th- this is the reason, one of the many reasons we study the attributes of God, right? Um, and by the time you get to the place where you just totally deny um, the existence of hell, which, by the way, Jesus spoke of quite a lot, it, it's impossible to have read your Bible um, and then say there's no hell in good faith. You just can't do that. At, at that stage, I, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm just going to say that person is apostate. We need to mark and avoid right. them. We need to stop giving them platforms, Start stop sharing their ideas. They're quite literally leading people in a direction that's extremely dangerous because the next step, you know, when you get that far is just not being a Christian anymore. I mean, that right. that's not a far jump from that place, right? Um, and I think we've seen this in a lot of individuals. And so, if, if you want to know who God is, stop relying on your feelings and start relying on your Bible, right? That's, that's how we come to know God. Um, you know, from, 
you know, the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. This is the very word of God. This is our authority. This is how we come to know the person and work of Christ. This is how we come to know who God is. And if the conclusion um, is anything other than that which Scripture comes to, it it has to be discarded, right, as other than what's true. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned from Genesis to Revelation, and that's another way of saying we read the whole full counsel of God and not yeah. just selective verses that we want to pull out of there. And something that um, I had stated on social media, I think uh, earlier this morning, is that if you take away hell, and even if you take away heaven, which some people have, you take away heaven or hell, I mean, realize that these are the schemes of Satan. Because if you take away those two things, then now you've got in the middle a gospel that is no longer relevant, right? Well, what's the point of the gospel if there's no heaven or hell? What is the point of Jesus Christ coming if there's no heaven or hell, right? What is the point of even repenting if there's no heaven or hell. And in fact, what's even the point of any uh, anything that the scripture says if there's no heaven or hell? Everything is pointed towards an eternal destination. Yeah. God has put eternity into our own heart. And so I would hardly agree with you that when you get to a point where you've got someone who is denying either or both of those realities, um, I would say that there is no possible way that someone who has put their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ um, can can do either one of those two, could deny either heaven or hell, let alone both of them. So definitely agree. I think that's one of the um, that's one of the bad fruits. You know, you shall know them by their fruits. If you see someone who is denying one or both of those realities, then know for certain that this is this is not a true teacher of God. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we pray for their soul, but certainly, you know, we we need to mark and avoid those folks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the you know the theological implication of dismissing hell is that you you nullify the work of the cross, like you just said, yep. right? I mean, so many times, I think if we pause and we think through the consequences of an idea or a thought, we would we would come to a conclusion that would force us to abandon that thought, right? So, if you dismiss hell, you nullify the work of the cross. Well, if you nullify the work of the cross, then you're no longer Christian, right? You're, right. you're, it's a different gospel. It's a different religion. Um, and, and so, you can kind of backtrack and say, well, okay, we actually can't do that. But um, I mean, so, this is kind of a good segue into our next one. We're eternal knowledge. We're talking about things in eternity, right? Heaven, hell. Um, but God, you know, not only does he have perfect knowledge, but he also has eternal knowledge. And you started us with a little bit of this. Everything that God knows, he's always known. Yes, um, declaring the end from the beginning is what Isaiah said. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Um, so, uh, this actually ties into um, election and predestination, I would say. Yep. That God not only knows everything, but he has always known everything from the beginning of time. He's never learned. And um, the Apostle Paul would even ask um, who has been his counselor, right? And and the idea, it's obviously a rhetorical question. No one has ever been his counselor. He's never needed to learn anything. Um, So, yeah, he's, he's always known everything from the beginning. And if he's known everything from the beginning, then there is nothing that can take him by surprise. And also, if he has known everything from the beginning, then that also has implications with regards to the fact that he's in total control, right? So, if he tells us what's going to happen in the end, and he knows everything from the beginning and everything that's going to happen in between, it must mean he's in total control to bring about the ends that he 
says he's going to bring about. So even the Romans 8.28 passage, which is a great memory verse for God's sovereignty, that he causes all things to come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, he can't do that without being omniscient, uh, without knowing everything from the very beginning. And even as I look at Acts chapter 2, the very first uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting him, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is poss- impossible for him to be held in its power. So even the crucifixion of Christ was according to the predetermined and foreknowledge, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And even that <clears throat> great uh, scripture on sovereignty that I just mentioned, Romans eight twenty eight, he goes on to talk about the fact that he has foreknown. He has foreknown us. So everyone he has foreknown, he has also called and, and justified and, and glorified. So we are totally dependent upon this. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we should be absolutely humbled before God, is to know that he already knew everything. And this is where open theism um, really gets it wrong. Open theism and process theology, open theism is this idea that God doesn't have control over things. He doesn't know all the evil that's going to come about. Process theology is this idea that God's in process of learning more and more. Um, you have to deny God's omniscience and in the process deny a lot of what the Bible teaches about his omniscience. So, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's actually quite a lot of the idea, and I've heard it even in some reform circles, which is a bit strange, um, that God is not into control. Um, well, that just breaks down all of the, I mean, that, that, touches all of the aspects of God, but but first and foremost, you can't be sovereign if you're not in total control, right? Um, and, it, you know, to your point, you read that passage, and uh, I'm preaching through the book of Jude right now, and I, if you heard that, I was flipping some pages, but, you know, again, God's eternal knowledge, I mean, listen to Jude 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, and so Jude's warning against false teachers, actually, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They were designated for that condemnation beforehand, and so, yeah, God has eternal knowledge. If you think about, um, you know, you and I, we have a uh, succession of knowledge. So in first grade, you know, you learn, and then in second grade, you learn a little bit more, and in third grade, and you kind of climb up through the ranks. Well, God's never had that, right? He's always had all knowledge at his disposal, um, which leads us up to the next one, which is immediate knowledge. So God has eternal knowledge, but then his knowledge is also immediate. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting concept. Why, why don't you give a definition of what that means, immediate as opposed to eternal? Yeah, so immediate meaning that what God knows, all of his knowledge is known simultaneously. So, this w- we would think about um, the fact that God doesn't need to calculate or consider or ponder, right? It's all of his knowledge is instantaneous, 
Yeah. And, and being someone who worked has worked in the past in the computer industry, I can use a computer analogy here. We've got a lot stored on our hard drive and, and now hard drives are getting to the size of one terabyte, two terabytes. You can get external hard drives now for eight terabytes, which at some point was just completely unfathomable to me. You can store a lot of data, but that data is only as good as your ability to access it or even your memory of the fact that you have it. Um, how many times have you ever gone into your computer and looked at old files and discovered files that you forgot that you had or discovered files that you had been looking for and you didn't know where they were? I run into that all the time. God does not have that problem. So he, he doesn't have a memory error fetch, um, a me memory fetch error that, that pops up. Um, so he can access anything at any time and he has perfect access to, to it immediately. Um, so yeah, that again would just go to show that God is perfect in his omniscience. If there was an issue of him forgetting or not being able to access, then that would violate his own omniscience. And going to the point that you made earlier, how some people are denying that God is a God of control, um, th that's a, a silly statement to make. And I think that's really bowing down to culture, right? I mean, culture mm -hmm. has made um, really control and power to, to be symbols of evil, um, but there is always going to be someone, whether it's a person or a group who has control or power. And thanks be, to, uh, thanks be to God that the one who has control or power is a good God who knows it all, knows everything from the very beginning all the way to the very end, and has immediate access to all of that knowledge at any given point in time, which means he always makes the perfect decision. Because if you compromise on that, then you have to say, well, he's not always going to make the perfect decision because he doesn't have access to all the knowledge at, all, at, at any given time. It's just another way of, of shortchanging the fact that he knows all things. Yeah, that's a good point, brother. And I, and I think, you know, there, there's another group of people, too, as well, who kind of feel this need to make an apology for God, like they acknowledge that there are bad things that happen. And so, you know, they, and, and I think it's just out of ignorance, um, it, wanting to protect God from being blamed. We'll say, well, if, you know, if God is in total control, then, then we, we have to blame him for the sin that happens. Well, no, that's a poor understanding of homardiology and a whole bunch of other things. Um, no, God is absolutely in control. If you take that away, then God ceases to be God just by you know, the definition. Um, w w and the problem is that we make a lot of assumptions in what is good and what is bad, what is ultimately for God's glory. You know, he makes vessels for wrath just as well um, as righteousness. And so, we don't get to choose, you know, um, or at least determine what, what is good and what is not. Even the evil that happens today um, one, we would say emphatically God is not the author of evil, but two, even that works to glorify him in the end. We may not always understand in what ways or how that works, but we don't have to make apology for God because God doesn't do evil. God's not evil. Um, we just have to acknowledge the fact that we aren't all knowing. And, and so God is not um, bound to tell us, right? why he does or doesn't do things. And Paul came to this very thing uh, when he comes to the statement says, well, who are you? I mean, really, you know, I can't imagine Paul, that was a casual thing. I mean, when Paul said that, I mean, really, who are you, man, made from the mud of the earth, dirt, to talk back to God and say, right. why have you made me this way? Or why have you done this? Um, that That's a very presumptuous 
uh, position to take up, I think. So God has immediate knowledge and he has all knowledge. I, I like the psalmist in 139. We talk about immediate knowledge. God doesn't need to process anything. He doesn't need to pause and consider anything like we do occasionally. But Psalm 139, I would just read a couple sentences here. Uh, you can, the, the whole seven through 16 here is fantastic. Yep. But he says, you know, where can I go from your spirit? This is really touching on God's omnipresence as well. But, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Well, there, there's Sheol. There's a reference for you. We talked about that earlier. If I take wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And so, you know, it, it, the psalmist is acknowledging that God is everywhere at all times. He, it's inescapable. God is inescapable. Um, did I say that right? Yeah. We, we can't escape from God's presence. And because of that, we also can't escape his perfect knowledge. He, it's all instantaneous to him. So everything that I'm doing um, is instantly known by God in the same way as everything you're doing simultaneously. And if we really wanted to blow people's minds, that was all known before the foundations of the earth was ever created, right? Amen. So, I mean, even this podcast, he already knows what we're going to say even before we said it, right? So, he knows all things. And and I love this psalm because this psalm both talks about his omniscience as well as his um, omnipresence. And if you think about it carefully enough, you really can't separate the two. It, they, they don't mean the exact same thing. But if you take away one, then the other one is rendered inoperative. You know, they, they depend upon one another. And talking about um, the evil that happens in the world, this is where our faith really gets tested. You know, when difficult times come, when tragedies occur, um, we, we are tempted to try to excuse God from it. As you said, we try to make apologies. And part of that, I think, is culturally induced as well, because culture um, loves to attack God about evil. And there's actually, um, there, there's actually contradictory thinking even amongst those who attack God, because on one hand, they hate the idea that God knows everything that, and that he's in control. But when bad things happen, they'll ask, how could God allow this to happen? And in that question, they're already presuming that God is actually in control. Well, if God actually allowed that to happen, that means you know he's in, in control. Um, but I think of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 to 38. Um, Jeremiah writes, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? And so this is one of the areas that we have to struggle with, but we also have to affirm what the Bible says, that God knows everything. He's fully in control, even over the most horrific tragedies that happens on this earth. And the what I often follow that up with is a reminder that we are not living in heaven right now. This is a sin-cursed world. Yeah. God cursed the planet. He cursed all of creation from the time of the fall when Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against God. And that condition has continued to exist and will continue to exist until the new heavens and the new earth are, are created. Um, so we are living in a time that is imperfect. We know that. And the whole purpose of the gospel is to look forward to eternity. You know, those of us who are in Christ, we know First Peter 1.13 says, set your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Some people call that escapism, but no, that's actually having the right kind of attitude and mindset. You can't be of any real earthly good unless you're mm. totally and, and rightly heavenly minded. 
And so the idea of escapism um, is is faulty um, because when we understand God and his eternal purposes, we recognize how dependent we are upon his goodness, the fact that he knows all things, the fact that he is in total control. And you had mentioned even in this psalm, we can't go anywhere outside of him. We can't escape him. And for the unbeliever, certainly they will try. For the believer, that gives us comfort, right? I mean, that's um, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, when David writes, um, even when I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, what? You are there with me. You know, I fear no evil because you are there. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And Jesus Christ, he gives the great commission and says, lo, and I'm with you all the way until the end of the age. So he's with us everywhere and he knows all things and he knows exactly um, everything at any given moment and will make sure that everything that he has purposed to come to pass will come to pass. And this, again, with tragedies, we have to humble our heart and recognize that, yes, this hurts. But we have to also remind ourselves that our first affection should be upon God because he is absolutely worthy. Yeah, that's that's such a great point, brother, that you made. You know, our, you know, as we understand the attributes, it should cause us to have so much more confidence in, in God and his work and the things that are unseen that are going on around us. I mean, you, you know, for the believer, I mean, you just consider the most tragic thing that you've experienced you can think of. And as you say, it's right to acknowledge the pain in that. It's right to acknowledge the suffering in that. We have to process and deal with those things. But for the believer, in the midst of that, you have a hope that is impossible for anyone outside of the Christian faith. And and that's the acknowledgement that because God is in control, because God is sovereign, because God is omniscient, that ultimately those things will work out for our good and for his glory. Um, and, and in the context of a sinful world, there's pain and there's suffering, but there's hope, right, in, for the believers to deal with those things. Um, for, for the person who does not yet know Christ, what hope is there, right? They can't grasp um, they can't hold on to the promises of God. They, they don't have the promise of um, things working out for their good, right? Things will certainly always work out for God's glory. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of, of some comments I've seen lately. In, in other words, you know, because we live here on earth, it, this is not that your best life now is not here on earth right? For the believer. Um, if, if it is, like many have said, then you're headed for hell. Um, and what a terrible best life now to have. I mean, just look at the last year we've had. It's been pretty miserable for a lot of people. Oh, amen to that. And um, yeah, I, I just saw that tweet and I had retweeted that uh, comment about your best life now. And um, it's amazing that uh, you, you think about that book and that title. Clearly, it's an unbiblical title because we are told to put our hope into the future, recognizing that this is not heaven. Um, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, that's going to be a much greater existence than we can possibly imagine. But it says something about just how shallow American theology has become. And, and I think that book, I, I want to say that book came out in 
2002, 2003. So we're almost 20 years uh, from the time that that book came out. But that was the best-selling Christian book for two straight years. And the fact that a book with a very clearly unbiblical title would be the best-selling Christian book for two straight years just shows how shallow American theology is and helps to explain why we're in the mess that we're in right now. Um, shallow theology leads to shallow discernment, and shallow discernment leads to a lot of adoption and acceptance of unbiblical ideas when they should not be accepted. You know, I add this too, and um, many of you, you guys know Melissa, she's on Twitter as well, a very um, wonderful, godly woman. And recently she had shared, um, you know, her nephew going through some difficulties, just infant, as I understand. And um, I read um, actually something from the, that uh, that child's mother, that Melissa's sister-in-law. And when we think about the kind of faith that that it takes to really trust in God, even in the worst of circumstances, you know, someone might be tempted to ask, well, who could possibly have such faith? Well, God gives that to you. Mm. Um, because when I read through the testimony of um, her sister-in-law, I, it is amazing that her child is the one that's going through these difficulties. And yet the faith that she has in a good God is beyond humanistic explanation. It is, It, it can only be explained by a person who has a new nature, who has the work of the Holy Spirit within her, who knows and believes what the Bible says about God's sovereignty, goodness, and omniscience. And so, again, it is a huge blessing to us when we understand it, and it's going to get us through some of the most horrific circumstances that you can possibly imagine. And that was Paul's point in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, when he said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He will strengthen you to get you through even the worst of circumstances, and it's going to be for his glory. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, again, you know, we come back to the importance of studying the attributes of God, because if, when you're in positions uh, dealing with situations like that, I mean, if you understand that we serve an all-knowing God and what the implications of that are, I mean, what comfort, I mean, what incredible um, peace that offers, because you know and understand that because God's omniscient, he hasn't forgotten anything. He hasn't missed anything. No detail has slipped past him for the believer. And, you know, while we may not understand, while the trial may feel um, heavier than what we can bear, we can always come back to these attributes and find a comfort that you just can't find in anything else. Um, and, and, you know, so we've gone through perfect self-knowledge. We've gone through perfect knowledge, eternal knowledge, immediate knowledge. And, and now we get to, you know, one of my favorite of the kind of subcategories, exhaustive knowledge, God's mm. exhaustive knowledge. And we've kind of been talking all these overlap, right? We're just trying to yes. put them in smaller categories. But um, I, I mean, I love this one. God knows everything down to the smallest minute detail. It's exhaustive. What an incredible thought. Amen. And, and being someone who used to work in the corporate world, I've worked in the corporate world for about 25 years. Um, you come to learn quickly that the ones who are the most valuable, the, the ones who can really earn a lot of money in the corporate world are the ones who specialize. They specialize in an area that is of great need. And currently, at the time that I left uh, corporate America and, and currently now, it's uh, not hard to understand why, for instance, um, security is a big deal. Um, companies want to be able to secure their digital assets and be able to protect from hackers of, in, from getting in. And the best security experts are the ones who 
understands all the methods that hackers can can use, um, all the ways that you can try to protect your assets, the different kind of mechanisms that exist, the pros and cons and all that. And, and yet that is a field that is continuing to grow. It's continuing to morph and, and you can never fully know everything that there is about that. But that's going to be the area where there has been and there will continue to be the greatest demand. And so when we talk about exhaustive knowledge, no one here on this earth has exhaustive knowledge of any of these specialty fields. You know, people in academics, people who um, serve at universities, they spend their entire lifetime researching a very specific or narrow field and they don't exhaust everything by their end. In fact, usually their predecessors or other people that um, are inspired by their work will pick it up and then carry it forward. So exhaustive knowledge is, it's unfathomable. Um, to us because we never experienced this, but God knows absolutely everything. And to him, there is nothing that is constantly evolving that he needs to keep up with. He already knows where every field is headed. He knows where, where uh, what, what all the knowledge is out there. We're merely just discovering what he already knows. And in some cases, and this is true for a lot of people who are in the science field, a lot of the conclusions they come up with are absolutely wrong. So God not not only knows everything that we're about to discover, but he knows all the ways in which we are wrong that we think we have discovered. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, this is this one really is a mind blowing thing because like you said, it's unfathomable for us. Unfathomable. I can speak today. Um, It's so hard for us to grasp, to get our minds around because we are so limited in this area. Just think of, I mean, we've all done it, right? You've had a conversation with someone, you came to a conclusion based on the conversation you have or what others told you. And then you find out that the situation was totally different than what you originally imagined, right? Um, God never, ever has that. Uh, I like you know, Psalm 147.4 says he counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Now, let me just blow your mind for a moment. Um, scientists currently estimate that there are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy, right? He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Oh, we're not done yet. Not only that. But then they estimate that there are around 100 trillion other galaxies, each with 100 billion stars. I mean, these numbers already can't get my mind around. So there's an estimated one quadrillion stars in the universe. That's just a theory, a guess. And how many ever there are, not only does God know the exact number, but he calls them all by name. That's amazing. That's a, that is amazing. I that that's, I mean, it's mind boggling. Even that number that you threw out there, I don't even know how many zeros are in that. I mean, I, you know, I, it, those are numbers that I cannot even fathom in my head. Um, let alone even start to consider that God created um, that much in the universe that we haven't seen. And a lot of times, you know what, you, you bring that up, and, and I have to bring this up because this question comes up often. So, do you think there's um, life on, in other galaxies, other universes, you know, other planets? And um, you know what, I, I can't say for sure if there is or isn't, but I will tell you this, um, only man was created in the image of God. Yeah, I know that yeah. because that's that's what the scriptures say, and that's really all that that matters uh, to me. But I I think of how Paul ended Romans chapter uh, eleven. He says, "Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. How unsearchable are His judgments!" Now he's just talking about the judgments of God, the fact that they cannot be searched out, but also how unfathomable 
are his ways. For who knows, who has known the mind of God, or who, who uh, became his counselor, um, or who had first given to him that, uh, that it might be given back to him? And obviously, mm-hmm. the answer to this is there is no one and there is, there is nothing, right? So only God knows all these things. But even Paul is just amazed. And so, and so this should give us um, comfort. Uh, that <clears throat> that we don't fully comprehend these things, but even the Apostle Paul in this statement cannot fully comprehend these things. But this is meant to drive us to praise and worship because this is this is part of a doxology, right? He he ends up by saying, "For from him and through him and to him are all things. Yeah. To him be the glory forever mm-hmm. and ever." Amen. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's it's such good stuff to ponder on. And you know, you can go to Matthew ten thirty. We just talked about the stars and you know how no one counsels God. And he says the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Okay, so yeah, you that's know, no trick for some for, of us. Yeah. For some of us, that's easier than others. But uh, I have to go to beard, I guess. Uh, yeah. The numbers of the hairs of my beard are numbered. Um, but I, I mean, really, when you stop and just kind of take statements like that in you know go outside tonight and look at the stars and and yeah. just just consider the fact that god created them all he's numbered them all and he's named them all and there are infinitely more stars than than even we can count beyond what you can see outside your home tonight um and and that is just gives us some idea of the knowledge the exhaustive knowledge of God. Um, again, the yeah, book of Job is so good. You talk about this, right? He talks about the depths of the sea and how he's, I mean, just, you know, if you go to the beach this summer, um, the waves stop where they do because God makes them, you know, that's an incredible thought. Yeah. And then we, we see that when Jesus calmed the sea, the, the sea of Galilee, right? He's yeah. on the boat and the storm comes over and, uh, and, and, People who are local there will will tell you that, you know, because of the geographical features, the storms that come there can whip up some huge waves. Um, but he didn't just rebuke the storm, but the sea became immediately calm. I mean, think about um, just the power that's that's required there, and the knowledge of of how all that um, operates and and everything that's that's in it. Yeah, it's. Um, God is amazing. I mean, what what else can you say? I mean, he he is beyond searching out. He is beyond our full comprehension. And yet we must continue to seek him. We go to the scriptures and we learn more and more. And how often, you know, and I know this has been the case with you often because it's been the case for me. How often have we gone to the scriptures, read over a passage that we have seen countless number of times, and then suddenly we get a just a new revelation just based upon what's written there, uh, a new depth of understanding that we didn't realize was there before, where our minds are just completely blown from it. And that's just the written word, what's been revealed to us. And there's so much more beyond that. So absolutely. And then you talk about these stars. Um, when you look at the Milky Way, the reason why we call it the Milky Way is because that's what it looks like. It looks like someone just painted uh, milk into the sky, and yet the Milky Way, it, it is what it is because there are so many stars just from that viewpoint that are all blending together to make it look like it's in some milky substance. And it's kind of like when you think about these old computer monitors that were very low resolution, and now they're getting finer and finer and finer to now where you can't even see the dots. You know, that's the thing that the stars, there are so many stars that you cannot even make out the stars when you look at, look at the Milky Way. They're just all blending together. It's just unfathomable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so, you know, these, the study of the attributes, it just brings me to, a, you know, a, a point um, where we realize 
the study of the attributes really in in every case should raise our affections for God and towards Christ. I mean, you you look at these things and it shouldn't just be um, mental ascent. It shouldn't just be an academic exercise. I mean, we should look at these things and yeah, when you're out next, look at the stars and just think, wow, my God created this, right? And, and, and the God that created this vast solar system, this vast universe loved me sent his son to die for me, to redeem me, to have relationship with me. Wow. What a God. What, what can you not trust to a God that big? There's nothing. Amen. Absolutely. And, and even think about Romans chapter one, when Paul says that people are without excuse, why are they without excuse? Because his, his power and his, his attributes have been made known since creation. So you talk about all the, the all those aspects of creation that you talked about that are just absolutely amazing. That's that, that doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen by chance. That doesn't just come from nothing. And certainly, every, suddenly everything just comes together by chance. You know, that, that is an intelligent designer. That is a creator um, who is responsible for everything in the universe. And to your point, drive us to praise that such a creator would care enough about us to choose us from even before the foundation of the world, um, that we would be holy and blameless before him. What yeah. a marvelous mm. thought. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, again, you, you can go to Matthew 10, 29, are not sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. I mean, again, just over and over, the scripture speaks to God's total control. Um, I mean, down to the sparrow that falls, right? So, we have the stars uh, in the sky that's named and numbered. We have the hairs on our head or our chins for some of us. Uh, we have the sparrows, you know. Um, God knows exhaustively all this thing. And I, I want to read a quote by Tozer. Um, I, I love this particular quote by Tozer because it speaks to um, God's omniscience. It, and it, it's such a good quote. And so, it's, it says this, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every uttered secret every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God's knowledge is exhaustive. Wow. Wow, indeed. That's, that's quite a statement. Yeah, I had to read that. Even even that statement is lacking. As great as that statement <laughs> yeah. is, even that statement is lacking. But that's a that's a great statement. I couldn't even. Uh, yeah, that's hard to fathom. Just that statement. I read through that over and over again, and and tried to find places where he left out, and I couldn't. Yeah. And just like you said, even that doesn't cover what right. we really mean when we speak of exhaustive knowledge. And and so that leads us to the the next one here. I mean, God has exhaustive knowledge. And then God's knowledge is also a penetrating knowledge. In other words, God sees what no one else can see. Um, this one ought to cause a bit of fear and trepidation, right? Um, and and cause us to really be aware of that. But I've, l- let me start with 
you know, first Samuel 16, seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. And that context, uh, of course, um, God had sent uh, Samuel to, uh, to go and anoint the next king of Israel who would replace Saul. And of course, he goes to the house of Jesse and he's looking at the brothers and each one that he sees, Samuel's like, oh, it's got to be that one. God says, no, 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 it's not that one. Oh, it's got to be that one. And he, he's totally just basing it upon what he sees from the outside. Um, and, and I love that quote because God is saying that it's not according to what you think a king should look like, but it's according to what I see in the heart. And, and I think of um, Mark chapter two, when Jesus healed that paralytic that was lowered in lowered down from the roof he um he, four four of his friends lowered him from the roof the place was so packed mm-hmm. and uh, and what does jesus do he said it says in mark chapter 2 verse 5 and jesus seeing their faith said to the politic paralytic sorry paralytic son your sins are forgiven and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts so they weren't even saying this out loud they're reasoning mm-hmm. in their hearts why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming for who can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, then responded to them. So not only were they reasoning their hearts, but Jesus knew that they were reasoning in their hearts and he answered them according to the statements that they never actually made explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is God. And that's, you know, and sometimes we see the way Jesus Christ operates and obviously he's an example for us to follow. But one of the things I point out is that remember also though, Jesus could see to the heart and we could not. So when yeah. it comes to evangelism, we do not know who is going to respond to the gospel or not. We can't make judgments based upon the um, external uh, appearance. We need to just preach the gospel and tr- um, trust that God will handle the rest. But yes, God is the one that sees through the heart and the scriptures see through to our heart as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. I, I mean, I mean, this is a, a talk about evangelism. It, it This is a great point. And it's why we're very happy to evangelize anyone and everyone. Right. Because we don't know. Um, God certainly has predestined um, and he's called and he loves and he keeps those who he's predestined. But we don't know who that is. And so, um, you know, we we proclaim the gospel to everyone and anyone. But, yeah, God's knowledge is a penetrating knowledge. And, you know, so. Let me just think about what that means for us. Um, I, I, I think one, social media platforms would be wholly different if we could have this in our mind all the time, maybe even myself, right? Yes. I mean, not only does is, is God very present with you while you're speaking, typing, whatever, um, but he, he knows what you're going to do before you do it, and he knows your heart in doing it, right? Your motivations, um, why you're doing the very things that you're doing. And yeah, I mean, that, that should cause us to pause and yeah, that's, it's kind of a scary thought, right? Um, it, it is, it is. And, and you had quoted first um, Corinthians two eleven earlier on where we read for who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except the spirit of the man, which is in him. And so with that reality, we understand that no one knows, uh, humanistically speaking, no one knows what's in your heart better than you yourself. So only each person knows what it is in is in his heart. Often on Twitter, and, and to your point, we often read into each other's motivations, and we shouldn't, you know, unless it's made patently obvious. But that's uh, often what happens with our detractors that they read into our statements, and say, "Well, you're only." 
only saying this because of this. And it's amazing when they say that. It's like, well, how do you know that? You can't even see to my heart. You know, you don't know what's going on in my heart. I know what's going on in my heart. And yet, so we see that truth being communicated here in 1 Corinthians 2.11. And yet, then we go to Jeremiah 17.9 and we read, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So even we, though each individual knows his heart better than anyone else, God knows our heart even better than us. And so Jeremiah 17, 9, the very next verse after that verse, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So God sees the heart even deeper than we see it. And we see that in scripture, Hebrews 4, 12, right? The, the, the word of God is, a, is, is living and active, is a sharp two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of, of man, among other things. So the scriptures is able to read into our heart in a way that even we don't even understand. And I know this, you know this, and many other believers know this, that we have discovered more about ourselves just from reading the Word of God than we have even from our own introspection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why we don't trust our heart, right? This is why we don't come up with doctrines based on the way we feel and what we Yeah, you follow know. your heart, right? Yeah. I mean, if someone says follow your heart, just run away from that teaching as fast as you possibly can. Um, who, who, wants to who wants to follow something that the Bible tells us is deceitful and wicked above all else, right? right. Um, no, no one would follow a teacher that stands up and says, hey, look, guys, I'm extremely wicked and I am very deceitful, so follow me. Like, no one would do right. that. But that's, that's what right. we effectively do when we say, no, just follow your heart. You know, I just, I feel this truth in my heart. Um, I've seen this from some of these apostate gods around. No, run, run far, far from that. Um, but God certainly does know what's in our heart. And, you know, to your point in, in how we kind of make um, judgments, I mean, we're called to make judgments on right and wrong and things like that, right? right. But how we often automatically assume wrong motives and, right. you know, and, unless there's some recognizable pattern, which, okay, to be fair, there often is something there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt in those cases um, is certainly something we should do because, you know, I don't, I don't know what's in your heart. Um, right. I mean, these days, I, I think I, <laughs> I, I, several gods have posted similar things, uh, but, you know, I kind of put something up like, uh, if you post on Twitter, you don't use a fork to eat your soup with. People come back with, well, but that's not true. Lots of people butter their toast with yeah. knives, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the point I was trying to make is, I mean, people just attack anything and everything totally out of context. Um, generally, a little creates kind of a contentious environment. But, um, you know, when we when we don't necessarily assume someone's heart motivation. I mean, one is it makes sure we aren't putting her, uh, us in the place of God, right? Because I don't know your heart motivation. Um, and, you know, if I look at something that you tweet, and I know your history, um, you know, I've seen your tweets, I've heard some of your sermons. Um, if you tweet something that in my mind, I perceive sounding strange or off, my first response shouldn't be, oh man, he's, he's, he's going off track. You know, right. it should be I wonder what he's really meaning. And if I have relationship, but I could just text you and be like, Hey, I, what was that? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, but to the point we got off. Yeah, the we, we, trail. we tend to give, yeah, we tend to give the benefit of the doubt to those whom we have relationships with. And, and you having known me and, and heard me and, and see me tweet and doing these podcasts together, um, you're more likely to understand why I say something than someone else's right. That, um, that maybe just has all, barely just gotten to know me because you, you have a history there. There's a pattern, but even if there's something that's not 
um, understandable to you. You know, you're gonna you're gonna give me the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, let's let's talk about this. Now, I do want to address one counter argument to all this because we talk about how the heart is de- deceitfully sick. Uh, that's Jeremiah seventeen nine. For those of us who have been believers, we've been given a new heart. We know that from Ezekiel chapter thirty six verses yeah. twenty six and twenty seven. And so, someone could argue, well, because I have a new heart, now you can you can trust me or you can trust what I feel. Well, no, we still have to measure everything according to Scripture, and there is still a flesh of the Spirit and the flesh according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, right? And that war yeah. is meant for you to not do what, you, what it is that you actually want to do. So, we recognize that even though we have a new heart, that new heart does not operate independently of the Word of God or the work of the Holy Spirit. We can still grieve the Spirit. We can still quench the Spirit, and we can end up disobeying God. So, every Everything still has to come back to Scripture, and I think of Psalm 139, that same psalm that we read from earlier, but the opening verse from that is, O Lord, you have searched me and know me, known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from, a, from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways." And so we always, even as believers, want to be able to go humbly to God and call upon God to continue searching us and to help reveal to us any ways in which we are failing to to glorify Him. Yeah, absolutely, brother. That's a great point. I mean, we we have a new heart, but it's not perfect yet, right? We're, yes. we're, we're getting there, but it's not yet. Um Absolutely. And, you know, so, I mean, we've gone through a whole lot of these notches. We have two more, two more. We'll, we'll try to, we'll be a little, a little longer today, but that's okay. Um, future knowledge. Now, this is an interesting because, um, uh, interesting one, because technically you could say God doesn't have future knowledge, which some theologians would say. And, and they would say that because, well, God is outside of time, right? That past, present, future for God is all instantaneous, however that works, right? Um, it, it's beyond us. Um, but the point would really be that God knows everything that will happen in the future um, in his present, right? The past, the present, the future is all present to God. Um, interesting thought there. Yeah, that that is interesting. I, God is the creator of time, so we understand that. And so future knowledge uh, for us, at the very least, we can say from here all the way to the time that the new heavens and the new earth arrive, mm-hmm. um, he has perfect knowledge of everything that's going to happen. And uh, that's always been the case from the very beginning all the way until the very end. But even when you read through the book of Revelation, you read about um, the, the trees bearing fruit in their season, mm-hmm. which you know, maybe that's the language of accommodation, but that's impossible for me to be able to comprehend without some sort of aspect of time going on there. So, uh, sometimes that um, argument about God existing outside of time misses the point. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is that everything that has not happened, even from our vantage point, God already knows it. And that that is the certainly the case with the crucifixion of Christ, his death on the cross, and the atonement uh, that he ended up uh, paying on our behalf, and really everything that's going to happen from here to the end. And that's the only way that he can assure his outcome. So, when we read that God causes all things to come together for good, he can't give us that assurance without having perfect knowledge of everything that is to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think we would talk about God's future knowledge as it pertains to us, right? Because that's yeah. where it matters. Um, I mean, it, this combats a lot of the thought of like, well, you know, am, am I going to mess up God's will for my life? Um, yeah, I certainly saw a lot of this in the charismatic Pentecostal service like uh, areas, you know, um, like, okay, well, if I, 
move to Alaska instead of California, am I going to mess up God's plan for my life? Well, no. God has all future knowledge. He knows exactly where he wants you, what's going to happen, every possibility. And I mean, the reality is you're going to end up ultimately where God wants you to end up. Um, We can't thwart God's plan, right? It's not to say that we can't make poor choices, we can't sin, but God knows, has considered, and has foreordained even all of those things. Um, and and so, you, you can't mess up God's plan. So, whether you buy the orange juice with the pulp or the no pulp, uh, it's really not going to affect uh, God's plan for your life. Um, it, you know, we make wise choices. And, and in fact, uh, I think Founders Ministry just did a podcast um, talking about people considering moving. And, and one of their uh, primary considerations was, you know, look at the church. If you're, if you're moving, yes. you want to find a healthy church. Yes. Um, and, and so, I, I just, this is applicable in that way. You know, if you're thinking about doing that, we have comfort in knowing that we can, um, you know, in the counsel of many, the counsel of our pastors, we can make wise choices and we can just know that God knows the future. He's foreordained those things and ultimately, um, we're going to be in his will for our life. You know, I'm, I mean, the scripture is pretty clear. God's will for our life is to pursue holiness um, and, and to be like him, right? It makes those statements pretty clear. So, future knowledge. Yeah, and, and we, have, we have freedom in Christ. Um, Absolutely. A lot of our decisions um, is based upon that freedom that he grants to us. And, and whenever we're tempted to think that we might mess up God's will, understanding that God is sovereign and omniscient helps to remind us that we don't have that kind of power. Nobody, no person ever who has ever existed aside from the Lord Jesus Christ himself has that kind of power. Um, So we don't have to micromanage or worry about every single little decision that we make. We want to make it in good conscience. We want to be able to say that we made it for the right reasons, for the glory of God, even evangelism. You know what? If you don't evangelize someone, uh, there's no chance that your failure to evangelize will lead to one of the elect not getting saved. Yeah, Um, God will see to it that everyone who was elected to salvation will be saved. But um, because he is sovereign, because he is in the highest in authority, he calls us to evangelize. And so you want to be obedient to that. You want to be able to fulfill his call for us. But um, you not evangelizing is not suddenly going to lead to less souls being saved. Yeah, that's a good point, brother. And that brings us to our last one, possible knowledge. Um, God knows the outcome of all possibilities, Right. Um, And I'm instantly drawn to Matthew 11, right? Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment for you and Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have Mm. remained to this day. So, God knew, right, long ago, if the miracles that happened there had happened in Tyre and Sidon, that they would have repented. Um, This is God's possible knowledge. There's nothing that God doesn't perceive or know. Kind of, it makes you feel like a sci-fi movie where there's alternate realities, Um, but God knows all of those what-ifs um, we like to know those things, but we don't. But God does. 
Yeah, and, and you hit it on the head when you talk about the what ifs. Um, it, this should spare us from paralyzing ourselves with what ifs. Yeah, um, and and it goes back a little bit to the idea that we could possibly make a decision that could thwart God's will. We don't need to paralyze ourselves looking back, thinking, "Well, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that?" And even us as believers will sometimes do that. I mean, I think about you know, what if I had given my life to the Lord uh, much earlier because I ended up being saved at um, the age of thirty-seven and uh, found myself um, coveting you know, just being a little bit jealous of those who were saved uh, much earlier. But you know what? A recognition that God is perfect in everything that he ordains, The not only those who are saved, but those who are in God's timing when they are saved is according to God's um, perfect uh, knowledge and, and his perfect plan. So we don't need to ask uh, those what ifs. And by the way, that, that verse that you just uh, quoted, some people say that Jesus Christ never said anything explicitly about homosexuality. Well, he kind of did inside Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolutely. And, and, and that's just going off the quote unquote red letters. Obviously, yeah. we would affirm that all the scriptures are the words of Christ. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ uh, dwell richly mm -hmm. within you. But even his um, citation of Sodom and Gomorrah recognizes the judgment that came upon him. And yet there is an even greater judgment for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that is, uh, that is the lesson there. And that there is no sin that is beyond um, God's repentance uh, and forgiveness of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are other explicit passages about homosexuality. Um, I, that's a very interesting way. It's a little off topic, but we'll hit the rabbit trail. Um, I, the Bible is a red letter Bible. I mean, as yeah. it were. Um, and, and I say that because, all right, well, we understand the red letters is Jesus himself quoting, but here's the reality. The author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit, um, I, ultimately, right? The authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, you can't pit Paul's words against Jesus's words. You can't, you know, change, uh, you can't put Peter against, you know, James. You, you just can't do those things. It's all the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when, when Paul speaks of homosexuality being an abomination before the Lord, when we see um, Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, that's all because the Holy Spirit is communicating to us um, that those things are an abomination. And they're not the only ones. We've talked about that before, right? But um, for you just can't read the scripture and say the Bible doesn't speak about homosexuality. And, you know, this is one of those things where we submit to the omniscience of God, right? Yes. In God's all-knowing wisdom, he has determined what is right and wrong. And for us to say that that's not true is to say that we actually know far better than God himself. Um, and I don't think any believer wants to be accused of that, but that's what we do when we set ourselves against the, the plain teaching of scripture. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually a powerful counseling point. And, and we as believers were called to counsel one another. So that's not to say that you have to be a certified counselor of some sort. But I, I say that that's a powerful counseling point um, because we never want to put ourselves into a position to say that we know better than God. Sometimes that can be about guilt, right? Someone yeah. is um, feeling the guilt over a sin that they have committed and they continue to feel guilt and they feel like they have to beat themselves up over it in order to give glory to God. And the question is, okay, are you saying that the sacrifice of Christ was not enough to forgive you of those sins. And so we, we never want to put ourselves into that position. And if someone is truly in Christ, you can appeal to them on that basis and, and saying, listen to what you are saying, listen to what is being implied about God. And if you are implying that you know better than God, help reveal that to that person and you will often see them repent to that fairly quickly.
Yeah, absolutely, brother. And so, you know, we're at the end of our time. We've gone a little longer today than normal, but this is, you know, scratching the surface of the omniscience of God. You can study this your whole lifetime. And again, you know, as it just... I don't do a whole lot of practical go do this kind of things, but I really would encourage, um, you know, those of you who are listening to this podcast, you know what, go out one night tonight, this week, whenever you hear this, look up at the stars and just ponder on the fact that God created all of those, that he's named all of those. He knows them all by number. He knows the number of them. He knows them by name. And, and that's the God that, has brought you to himself. That's the God who called you, who predestined you. That's the God whom Christ came uh, to die for your sins. And I just just ponder on that. I mean, I think too often in the reform camp, we get very heady and we kind of forget, you know, um, our, our affections towards Christ. You, you know, we almost have, you know, on one side of the church, you kind of have your leave your brains at the door be ruled by your feelings kind of thing. Um, and then on the other end, we're, we're almost very afraid of having any feelings, right? Um, but if you yeah. read men like uh, Jonathan Edwards, some of the you know, you read the Puritans. I mean, certainly if you read Spurgeon, I mean, you see that these men were full of emotion, love, and affection towards Amen. Christ. I mean, they saw the grandeur of God um, at least in part, right, as humans, as much as we yeah. can. And, and it just, their heart burst open at the seams, um, loving this God. And these attributes should cause that kind of response in us. So, feelings and emotions are from God, and they're good. And if you're void of those, um, that's not a good place to be. So, yeah. as you're studying these attributes, uh, as we're going through them, and, and we only got a couple more episodes of the attributes, I mean, l- let it you know, let it rot, raise your affections towards Christ. I, any ending thoughts from you, brother? No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Uh, our knowledge of God should drive us to passionate worship of Him. And the important part about this is that the world often follows their emotions and then uh, they, they figure out what they believe based upon how they feel. And we are not to be that way. We're to be the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Let what we know is true be what drives our passions and emotions. And those people that you mentioned, they are perfect proof and evidence that that's exactly what happens when you really study the Word of God and think upon it in a meditative way where you're really pondering, think about the implications upon um, who you are, um, the greatness of God and how insignificant each one of us are. And yet, he reached out to us to, to provide us with salvation. That should absolutely lead us to a heart-filled expression of praise and worship to him. Amen, brother. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in to us to listen to this podcast. We hope that it's been edifying and uplifting uh, and God-honoring. Just as a quick reminder, we would love to hear your questions, your comments, your testimonies. Um, you can send those to us via email at truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. That's truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known Podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.